Hey everybody, welcome to Revolutionary Relationships, a podcast here to support you in your emotional, your relational, and your spiritual evolution. Yes, and if you don't know, we are your hosts, Kara and Caleb, and we are so glad that you are here. This is gonna be the best day ever. This is gonna be the best day ever. Wake up. Hello, hello, hello. Oh, hello. <laughs> Welcome oh, to November. I know. It's getting chilly. Today's the coldest day. Yeah, it's well, like 40, year, 40 something yeah. outside. It's pretty, it's gray too. I know. Um, you know what I did today? I do know what you did today because our house is still a mess. <laughs> <laughs> well, I am in the middle of doing our nursery. I know. It's adorable it's and it makes me want to so tear cute. up just thinking about it. Ugh, she's just going to be so cute, cozy in that crib. <laughs> a bundle, like a little bundle of joy. <laughs> um, I honestly don't want to waste another minute because this <laughs> podcast is absolutely incredible. We, I feel like both of us had like multiple emotional, physical, mental experiences while talking to Sarah. Honestly, this, this podcast, I am not just saying this, um, it's going to be one that I'm going to send off to get transcribed because yeah. I want it transcribed. I, it is the key, I feel like, to not only just better understanding your life, mm-hmm. but how to move your life forward mm-hmm. in uh, such a grounded, present way yeah. that you don't get burnt out. You you experience deep joy. You experience deep happiness and fulfillment. It is, it's, I don't know, it's yeah. the... Key to life here. <laughs> <laughs> it's the key to life. I feel like if you are someone who has ever felt stuck, ever disliked themselves, ever had uh, self-loathing thoughts, ever wondered why you are the way you are, yeah, this is the best breakdown of how we operate as humans that I've ever heard. It's so good. And I met Sarah when I first moved out to LA and it's incredible. She's somebody who I have admired and honored from uh, afar. And, Mm -hmm. you know, I've been blessed to call a friend when I was out in Los Angeles. And so it was just such a joy to reconnect with her and to hear her articulate this message. Yeah. Um, It was so profound. And we just know that it's going to uh, bless you. Uh, Just so you have a little bit more information about who Sarah is. She is a somatic experiencing practitioner trained through Peter Levine's three-year trauma training and a member of the Polyvagal Institute training team. She is also trained in somatic attachment theory, parts work, psychodrama, and Martha Beck's life coaching program. Mm. She is based in Los Angeles and has grown to serve hundreds of clients from around the world and offers a variety of individual group and online coaching options and i will just say that if none of those words made sense to you i promise you that's okay (laughs) you're going to understand exactly what you need to understand as you listen to this podcast absolutely let's go ahead and listen to all of the wisdom that sarah has to share all of the wisdom Anyway, Sarah, it's so great to uh, have you with us. It's been so long since we've connected. Um, And I just want to say, first and foremost, it has been the utmost joy standing afar and watching you just blossom and grow and expand. Um, I still remember our first conversation at Wild Child, or what was it? Um, Flower Child. Flower Child. 
Is that what it is? Flower Child and, and yeah. Santa Monica when we first met. And you were brilliant and incredible and amazing then. Um, and now just looking at how much you've grown and just the incredible work that you're doing mm-hmm. and the people that you're impacting. Uh, I, I'm honestly not just saying this. When you do your little walk and talks, I have pin pad. <laughs> he does. Honestly, it's this like is this is our polyvagal check in happening <laughs> oh right God. here. This is, this is my dream. You're my people. Maybe I should move to Nashville. Um, um, and so I just say all that just to honor you. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's been it's been really cool and great to see. Mm, thank you so much. It it really uh, means so much and. And this work really means so, so much to me and, and giving it to as many people as possible. So I really appreciate that. Um, and I'm so glad to be here with both of you today. I will say too, Kara, um, I get excited with these conversations. Yeah. So if I start talking too much and hijacking <laughs> this conversation, tell me to shut up. <laughs> you know, it's so interesting, Sarah. I feel like since getting pregnant, I like I'm a verbal processor. I'm wildly extroverted. Something about pregnancy has like brought me inward. And so Caleb and I will be on podcast and I'll be like, oh, wow, I just let you like steamroll that conversation <laughs> and I didn't speak up. So that's why you're, you're that's being why I'm saying it. Yeah. Cute and noting uh, it. But sometimes I do. I bring a lot of passion to the conversation. And yeah. Well, this is a con- this, three people. In this I can already <laughs> anticipate this conversation being really great. And both of us being like, oh, Sarah. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, I was noticing such incredible attunement between the yes, two. Yes, we definitely practice. We do practice. <laughs> <laughs> we do. Um, my life has changed in the most dramatic and most incredible ways. Uh, but when I look back at the last decade of my life, Sarah, when I look at everything that transpired since walking away from the NFL, so like 12 years, to where I am now, I can genuinely say, and I was talking to Kara about this, sir, I feel like I have moved out of survival mode. Mm. Like 12 years later, I feel like I have moved out of survival mode and it's like my energy has shifted into creation. It's like I spent so many years trying to create in the land of surviving and it just doesn't work. Mm-hmm. And so when I look back at it, like the even when I got on um, my last call with our astrologist, she had told me, and this was a few weeks ago or a couple months ago, when I felt this shift, she goes, a 10-year season has officially ended for you. And it's a big one. And at that same time, I had felt like I was moving out of survival and into creation uh, energy. And I just look back and I'm like, holy shit. The last decade of my life has been devoted, even though I didn't know it at the time, it's been devoted to learning how to regulate a very dysregulated nervous system. And that has just had profound implications all across my life. And so I would love just to dive into central nervous system, all things central nervous system. Uh, What is it? Why is it important? And what kind of role does it play in our lives when it comes to us really finding purpose and meaning and so on and so forth? Hmm. Well, first of all, congratulations. <laughs> what a huge feat that is. You know, yeah. I, I know for me, there's nothing I'm more proud of than my healing because it's the hardest work I've ever done. Mm-hmm. So I know how hard what you've done is. And I'm just so happy for you and proud of you and what that means for your marriage and yeah. for your family. So, so Thank exciting. You. Yeah. 
you know, this, this nervous, it's actually our autonomic nervous yeah. system. Our central nervous system is a little different. Our autonomic nervous system is, and just, you know, it doesn't really matter the, the neuroscience terminology of it, but this system, its whole job is to keep us safe and alive. It has actually has 500 million years of evolution behind it. So, you know, us, us humans, this human part of ourselves are like, I'm going to try to fight against something that's 500 million years old <laughs> and has the sole job of keeping me alive. Who's going to win? Our protective parts are always going to win. And so what, you know, before I get into the details of what our autonomic nervous system is, how we experience it, and then I can give folks some examples of how we can actually change that experience. Um, I like to give this analogy of parts. And over here on in this hand, this is my right hand, it looks left, I know, on everyone's screen probably watching. Uh, but over here we have our truest self parts, self parts, highest self parts, whatever you want to call that. And these parts um, have desires. And we get to a, usually a place in our healing where now I have contact with what those dreams are and desires are. Mm. And it's usually things like being seen, known, heard, using my voice, connecting with other people, helping the world, being seen, being creative, uh, having partnership and vulnerability and intimacy and all of this abundance, receiving all of those wonderful things, right? And oftentimes our deepest desires are things that were once inhibited, meaning they weren't available to us, or they were once dangerous. Mm. The, I, 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 I got to believe that the universe has a sense of humor, God <laughs> or spirit or nature or whatever you want to call it, energy stardust, because look at this predicament. Here's the things I deeply want the most, and there's therein lies my trauma and the things that were dangerous. So here's the thing. The only way to them is through our healing, mm -hmm. which is really cool, I think, the way it's set up. Yeah. And yeah. I also think it's so extraordinarily resilient of us that even though we weren't seen as children, let's say, or we weren't able to receive, or people weren't safe, there's a part of us that never gives up on those things. Mm -hmm. It's so extraordinary. No matter how long it's been, no matter how painful it's been, there's a part that says, but I think it's possible, mm -hmm. and I'm not going to give up on that hope. Even when we feel hopeless, there's a part of yeah. us that still has that dream. So those are our truest self parts. And then over here is our autonomic nervous system and our protective circuit. And they have a database of information. You can think of it like a database or a receptacle of past information that they look to to decide what is safe or dangerous in our lives. Mm -hmm. Now, they have evolutionary responses in there, too, like you know, um, run away from a lion. Those yeah. things are dangerous. And whatever else we learned evolutionary, they have our, our generational trauma in there. So if our parents haven't resolved their traumas and grandparents and so on and so forth, it's in there. And then our own life experiences in there. And when traumas that we, and I'll get to what trauma is, but when traumas haven't been resolved, they're stuck in that receptacle of information. Mm. So our system says, Oh, um, when people come near you, they hurt you yeah. Store that in the receptacle. Uh, when you use your voice, you're going to be ridiculed and someone's going to say, who do you think you are? That's stupid. Uh, when it comes to vulnerability, when you go to be vulnerable and you want to be picked up as a child, someone says, stop crying. Don't yeah. be a baby. All gets stored. Right. And so the protective parts use that to decide if what in front of us is safe or dangerous. Mm. So here's where we get into get the predicament of getting stuck. 
truest self part says, I'm ready to do this. I want to step towards these things in my life. And we all know when we're not actually stepping towards it, meaning like I in my house lighting sage and I'm like, yes, I'm going to step towards this thing. It's going to be so great. These relationships or this thing that I desire or my purpose or write the book or be seen. The protective part said, nope. sure, go ahead and dream about it. I don't mind. We don't mind because you're sitting in your house in West Hollywood, California, where I live or wherever you live watching, so go for it. And we can feel really good. Then the moment we mobilize towards it and we say, no, now I'm going to step towards it. Where the protective parts, they say, oh, you're actually going to do something about it. Mm. No, 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 no. You can't do that because I have all this information from your past and the receptacle about how those things aren't safe. And then we go round and round. And if you're me, maybe for a decade or two of I try to take a step forward, protective parts say, no, I'm stuck. Mm. Step forward, protective parts say, no, I'm stuck. And we battle these parts. And if you're really stubborn like me, you may even say, I'm, you know what? I'm going to try to will my way towards it. (laughs) And so, no, I am sitting down at this computer today and I am going to write the content for this website, or I'm going to write this thing. And and I'm not going to, no, I'm, you are not enjoying your Saturday until you do this thing because you have to do it. And as I'm trying, what I'm trying to do is say protective parts, I'm stronger than you. And they're saying, Oh, Sarah, no, you're, no, you're not. No, you're not. We're going to put you into your shutdown state, which I'll get to in a moment where you sit at your computer and all of a sudden you can't think and you're blank and you're exhausted, even though you slept eight hours. Why am I so tired as I'm looking at this computer? Or I feel so overwhelmed by all the things that need to get done. It's too many things. And now I'm on anthropology buying a candle. <laughs> yep. <laughs> totally. <gasps> Been <Yeah>. there. <gasps> Yeah. So this is that predicament that we can get into and speaks to a little bit about what you're saying, Caleb, about I'm going to try to will from survival, get Mm -hmm. myself to do it. And that that process that we try to do, unfortunately, doesn't work. But there are things we can do to actually make it work and change that. Mm. I think just hearing this, I'm like tearing up because so many of us hate ourselves for not being able to will ourselves through this. We should be better. Try harder. Get your shit together. Do more. Do more. Mm-hmm. What and it's just and then when you hear what you just said, it's like a key to freedom because it's like, "Oh, wait. Two, it's a reframe of self-sabotage. You're not self-sabotaging, you're self-protecting. Like I love myself so much that I would mm-hmm. go great lengths, even very toxic lengths and destructive lengths to protect myself." And so the whole journey is, Mm -hmm. is like retraining, like, Hey, you're safe now. I I keep thinking about, uh, I think it's world war two, but some pilots were, I don't know the story exactly, but the pilots were shot over an Island and then they got lost on this Island for a few years and they were found after a few years. And as soon as they were found these loyal soldiers, they were like, put us back to war, like send this out again, let's go. And they had to be told that the war is over. And I heard that and it's like, wait, there's a little soldier inside of all of us that just needs to be told that the war is over, mm. like the war mm. is over. Yeah. And so I just, it's just so beautiful. And you articulated that so clearly. Sarah, can you give us uh, like a workshop uh, example of somebody who might be in this cycle, how it might actually play out in real life? Yeah, sure. Do you want it around? Give me a topic, relationships, purpose. Yeah. Relationships. Relationships. Okay. Yeah. So, so let's say someone is, um, they've come into a place in their life where they're finally in contact after doing some healing work with what their needs are. And before that, 
They didn't know that they had needs. There's a reason why they didn't know they had needs because when they were young, there was no space for their needs. And we are such brilliant, perfectly working creatures that our systems can say, I know what I can do. I can numb your access to your needs so you don't have to feel the perpetual pain of them not being met. And then we go through life meeting other people's needs. We're so good at it. We can suss it out. What might they need? And someone sits down and like we have a napkin on their lap already. And they're like, you're so great. And people say, you're so easygoing. She's so, you know, like, oh, this woman is so easy to, to be around, you know, in dating. And we think, oh, great. My value is subconsciously that I take care of others yeah. and I don't have needs. And that's how we negotiate the world. And then. We get to a celebratory place in our healing when someone comes into work with me and they say, I'm starting to get frustrated. I'm starting to get kind of pissed off, actually. That, that, what about me? Uh-huh. Which is an exciting thing that starts to happen. And so maybe in their session, like with someone like me, they can start to feel that agitation and they can even communicate their need. And they're like, you know what, what I really actually need is I would like my partner to ask me what they can do for me. And how they can support me. It would be so nice if I would have, they knew I had a long day and they could attune with that. And they walked in the room and said, I got it tonight. Why don't you go sit down or whatever, right? They're in my office and they can feel into that. Or I'm, I don't see people in person anymore. Over Zoom. <laughs> or they're talking to their friend about it and they can really feel into it. So why can they feel into it when they're not actually with their, their significant other? Because the protective parts are saying, similarly to what I said about me sitting in my house in West Hollywood, not like, you know, actually putting the work into the world, the protective part say, go for it. You can think about it. You can talk about it. You can feel into that as long as you don't mobilize towards it. Mm. And so then what happens is that person who really like when they're not around their significant other, they're now in contact with what their needs are. And two things might happen. One is they they think to themselves, they, they ask their partner, hey, can we talk about something tonight? And then and their partner says, sure. And all of a sudden, the protective parts come online like, like Jaws. What do you want to do? You're going to talk about it? And then all of a sudden, they feel anxious. That's the protective part showing up. Mm-hmm. And I'll tell you about that part of our autonomic nervous system in a minute. So the protective part shows up, and let's say it's anxiety. And then we sit down, and they're about to communicate that. And all of a sudden, they go blank. And they can't find the words to say um, what I was trying to say. And um, you know what? Let's talk about it later. And (laughs) and they just feel a little shut down and overwhelmed. Mm -hmm. Or that's one option of self-protection that happens. Another is they sit down to talk about it. That's called our dorsal vagal complex. What I'm talking about just came on. Team member comes on and says, no, we're not doing that. Another team member that might come on is our sympathetic nervous system in the form of agitation or anger, frustration. And all of a sudden, instead of communicating from regulation, now the self-protective part is saying, I am so sick and tired that I've spent six years (laughs) doing everything for you. And when my partner says like, wait, I don't understand. You want me to do what? And I'm like, what do you mean I want you to do what? I've been doing everything. Mm-hmm. And now I'm feeling out of control. I flip my lid. I'm so angry and I can't even communicate what it is I'm actually trying to communicate. Yeah. Um, or I feel so anxious that I can't either. All of those are self-protective parts getting in the way or saying it's not safe to do this. Mm-hmm. And 
And that's just one example, you know, in, in stepping towards the things that we desire in life, it's the same thing, whether it's um, moving to a new place, joining new community, stepping towards whatever creative endeavor we want to do or purpose. When we're just thinking about it, like, this will be so awesome and great. Or I think of like, let's say community based on our past, if community wasn't safe. I'm like, I'm ready for this. This is going to be awesome. And then I take a little mobilizing step and I make a plan with someone. I reach out to someone. And in that little mobilizing step, I might feel like this is good. Next Friday, I'm going to go do this thing. Awesome. But then next Friday rolls around. And for some of us, all of a sudden, I feel dread. Mm. I'm like, why the hell do I feel dread? I was really looking forward to this. I want to be in community. I'm so lonely. And I'm like, I can't do this. I just, I'd rather clean my toilet. I'd rather like do all the errands and reorganize everything and then go out and be around someone. It feels like too much for my system. And then I cancel the plan because it feels overwhelming. And then I feel lonely because I canceled the plan or I step out and I step into connection. And as I'm out in the world, I put on a mask that I'm used to wearing because I maybe had to use to wear masks and I feel entirely anxious all the time, but I'm presenting as if I'm not anxious, but I'm really, I'm super, super anxious the whole entire time. And then I'm exhausted after the experience and I don't really remember it because I wasn't present for it. Mm. So all of those are just some examples of how our protective parts show up to keep us stuck and to keep us safe is what they're doing. Yeah. It's so uh, fascinating too, because it, it like in, in a simple way where our desires are so clear, but we're keeping ourselves from them and not maliciously, but, but the desire could be so strong for connection and community and wanting that. But this, this part, these parts that we haven't healed or we haven't dealt with are actually keeping us from the very thing that we're longing for. Yeah. I think that, go ahead. Well, just because if they have to choose between us having connection and love and vulnerability and intimacy and what we're here to do in the world or dying, yeah. Will- <laughs> yeah. That's a lie. Yes. That's what they're doing. Yeah. And so my work, I, the mental traditional mental health model is filled with words that are so shaming mm. and talking mm. about people like they're broken. Even the term dysfunctional, I don't use it because it's such a, negative word yeah that's something's wrong with me that's not what neuroscience says it says everything's right with me so i call it active self-protection that's yeah. what it actually is mm. and, and so part of our work is how do we learn to speak the language of these protective parts that is the only way out that is the only way to get unstuck and they don't understand a cognitive language which is why if we've had loved ones in our lives say like, you can do it. I believe in you. You're safe now. Or we tell ourselves like, Sarah, just calm down. Stop being anxious about this thing that you haven't done yet before. And, and there's nothing to worry about. You're safe now. No, everyone else is thinking about themselves. I don't think about you. Anyway, you're fine. Mm-hmm. And I continue to get more anxious. Well, that's because it doesn't compute. Mm-hmm. Meaning this protective circuit is subcortical. That means it lives in our bodies. Yeah. And where no verbal language lives. So there's no amount of rationalizing that we can do to, to change this stuck pattern happening. We have to speak their language. That's so good. That's good. Um, would you say that like all uncomfortable emotions are the language of our protective parts speaking to us? Mm-hmm. Where I not like, always. sorry, go ahead. Uh, not always, but... Okay. but Finish your thought and I can Yeah, it was like, like even this morning, um, I have recently signed with uh, 
a, a book agency. And so I have yeah. a literary agency uh, that's representing me and it's getting really, it's getting real. And I think a <laughs> lot of, I've been trying to write a book, but I actually haven't been trying to write a book. I think there's been a, a trauma response of receiving affirmation and some verbal uh, love and acceptance by announcing that I'm writing a book, but I've never actually postured my heart in this place of, I'm writing a fucking book. <laughs> like I've tried to write it and then my, tra- like I will go and I will shut down and I'll be the guy that sits in front of a computer screen and is like, I cannot write a fucking coherent sentence for the life of me right now. This is embarrassing. And then yes. I go into despair and frustration, blah, blah, blah. But this morning, you tried to will yourself. Oh into my God. It too. This is what the book is about. <laughs> <laughs> but this morning, um, I, I'm in this place where I have this, I'm still learning my voice. I This morning, I looked at Instagram, which I've learned not to do first thing in the morning. <laughs> but I went against my own Seriously. advice. And I looked at Instagram, and I came across a post, and this guy was so beautifully articulating himself and expressing himself. And I felt this just wave of despair kind of wash over me because I'm like, I, I can't do that. Mm. And here I am, and I feel like I'm I'm dying with words inside of me, but I can't put to words what is happening here. And so my immediate response is anxiety. And I my natural response for so many years is now have this anxious attachment to life and the work and really figure it out and strive my way through this and work harder through this. But it would be so much anxious energy. And I know through our past conversations, you felt that um, just when I've been around you. And so I have enough awareness now to to stop, to, to be in it. Um, but I guess I'm still learning like, oh, like I've been kind of, my mood has been kind of a little altered all day today. And I've been kind of like in this, this um, I guess, more quiet, quieter place today. Um, and you've noticed it, but I've been working my way through this. I've been processing this and allowing myself to be just consciously aware of it. But I guess what I'm asking is that wave of uncomfortable emotions, the despair that led me to just wanting to shut down. Like I would be perfectly fine sitting on the couch and watching movies all day today. Um, that's trauma response. That's my protective part speaking. That is exactly right. And so I took a really long time to say that. to hear because this is what it's experienced like and you know something that is so important in getting unstuck and getting unstuck faster is beginning to have self-compassion for our autonomic nervous system and protective parts and self-compassion is kind of like the word self-love like what the hell does that actually mm-hmm. mean when people you know are like just love yourself what yeah self-compassion, like what the hell is that in terms of the way that I approach this is when, so what happened there I'm hearing from you, Caleb, is you began in what's called your sympathetic nervous system. This is a mem. I call our uh, protective parts, our own private special ops team. And the reason I call it that is like a special ops team. There's many members of the team. They're the best of the best. And they have one primary mission, right? Same with our protective parts. There are many members of this team. They're the best of the best, and their one primary mission is to keep you alive. That's how much they love you. Mm -hmm. And they can work for decades and decades at a time. I can't, you know, if I held this glass up for a week, everything would fall apart. I wouldn't be sleeping. My whole arm would hurt. But your self-protective circuit, it will continue to work for you. It, It makes me emotional thinking about this. This is what our sympathetic nervous system can do for us. It can say, 
I will never give up. I will never give up. And I, and every single organ in our body says, here, I can give a little more energy. Your liver says, I can give up a little bit of the blood flow that I'm getting. And your, your um, kidneys say the same thing. Mm -hmm. And your heart says the same thing. And your immune system says the same thing. So that your sympathetic nervous system says, great, thanks everybody, because I need this extra energy so that we can get away from the theoretical lion or the threat that we think is there. Our systems will even eat our own muscle tissue. Mm. When we run out of energy, it says, no, I'm never giving up on you. Mm. I will not wow. stop. That is extraordinary. Yeah. And our systems can do this from the moment we're born. Yeah. Our systems can adapt when we're precious little babies to, to all kinds. I mean, we're not talking about attachment theory today, but can attack, uh, adapt to, you know, when we're born, we don't have the ability to self-regulate. Mm -hmm. And if our parents or caregivers can't help us regulate, our systems love us so much that they say, I know what I can do. I can cloak you in this thing called your dorsal vagal complex where you don't have to feel anything so that you don't have to feel the perpetual pain of this never ending. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so your system came online because it's saying you have all this inside of you that the world needs. And your system is saying, I have this database of information and it hasn't been safe to be you. And it hasn't been safe to take up space and actually authentically be yourself, maybe. And so your protective parts say, I have to keep you from this, no matter what. Mm -hmm. And then what happens is if your sympathetic nervous system says, uh, your, your whole system says, I don't think some team sympathetic did the trick. And so we bring in even more intense. The most intense team we have is called our dorsal vagal complex doesn't look intense but it is the most intense we only go here when our system thinks that we're going to be eaten alive mm. and we go here think about how beautiful this is every mammal has this ability every antelope that's about to get eaten by the you know the uh -huh. lion. why do they have this because i just think creation in ourselves we love ourselves so much that our system says i can't stop this horrible thing from happening, mm. but I can help you to leave your body so you don't have to be here for it. Yeah. Isn't that extraordinary yeah. that our systems can do that, you know? So when we feel apathetic, shut down, hopeless, in a funk, can't really talk, care if you ask Caleb when he's here and he's like, ask him about how he's feeling, you probably can't really answer and your sentences are really short and you're like, I don't know. I don't want to talk about it or mm. I can't talk about it or this is called your dorsal vagal complex. And mm -hmm. I just, I, I need to curl up under a blanket and, and not be seen in the world. It's just too much and numb myself. That's us going down what's called our autonomic ladder, start in that sympathetic place. And then I go down. And so what I invite folks to do when we're activated, which is the same as dysregulated is I figure out where I'm active. I help people map their nervous systems, but where am I in my nervous system right now? Am I in that sympathetic mobilizing state that we call fire flight? Mm. Am I in this shutdown state where I feel numb, again, apathetic, hopeless, whatever, depressed? Also, just a, a quick side note, we see this in relationships all the time, right? We're, we're both regulated. Someone looks at their phone while I'm talking. What does my self-protective circuit do? My self-protective circuit says, look at the database. What does this remind me of? Oh, my neglectful caregiver that didn't uh, attune with my emotions. All of a sudden. <laughs> Self-protective part comes online and says, I am never sharing anything with them again. Mm. People don't even know why I tried. Or I feel angry. Yeah. Or I feel sad or whatever. And that is how quickly this self-protective yeah. response comes online. 
And then uh, just relationally, we have, because I'm sure people can relate to this. Then I'm, let's say I'm in my sympathetic nervous system. I'm like, you never listen to me. And they're like, and, and I'm really yelling at my parent, my caregiver who neglected me. And then all of a sudden uh, they hear their caregiver that was critical. Yeah. And they're like, I can never get it right for you. And now we're both in our sympathetic nervous systems. And then all of a sudden we keep getting more and more into our sympathetic nervous systems until someone's special ops team says, this isn't working, bring in team dorsal. And then all of a sudden they go to, I don't hear you in whatever. doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. And we're like, the other person's like, what do you mean? You cared a minute ago. And I'm like, now I don't, I don't care at all whatever the whole world could blow up and I don't care. That's me going into deeper dysregulation. So all, all that is to say when this happens, Caleb, what I want or anyone listening, what I invite you to do is say, ah, the protective team is here. Thank you. Mm. For, thank you for doing what no adult could do. You know why they show up? Because there was no safe adult that could show up for us. Yeah. So thank you for doing what no one else could do. And now here's my job. I need to show you that we're here. I need to show you that we're here. Simple tool called orienting is using my external environment to mm. bring my system back here. And that means looking around and, and I use this just two simple words. We're here. We're here. And how can I actually show myself? I'm not in 1986. I am in 2021. How can I smell things, touch things, see things all to bring my system back here? And there's, you know, many, I use so many different actual therapeutic tools to bring our systems back here. Yeah. But that's, that's one Beautiful. way. And then before writing, can I sit down and let my system know, the protective parts know, I am not going to share any of this with the world until all parts are ready. Hmm. I'm not going to, because sh- what the protective parts do is when we sit down to write, they're fast forwarding to a year from now when a book is published. Hmm. And the work is, I have to show them, no, no, no. Today, I'm writing this on a piece of paper. No one maybe ever sees this. They may, but they may not. Mm -hmm. I'm in control now. And that's really important in getting (laughs) us. This is so beautiful. I'll send you a check right now. (laughs) (laughs) Caleb's like, I wrote my book because of Sarah. No, that's beautiful. Um, do you have something to say? Yeah, I just am curious. You mentioned this earlier. I, I love this idea of we're here. I, I try to do that. Here I am. Here I am. And for me, it's this experience of coming back to my body um, because so much of my protection mechanism in, in life was leaving my own body, disassociating from my own body. So I'm curious, you you referenced uh, that that this system speaks a different language, that it speaks the language not a cognitive language, but a different language. And I know you talk a lot about somatic practices, but can you talk about how how we can we can lean towards speaking to the body and, and lean towards speaking that language and maybe even some practical ways that we can move some of that stuff through the body? Because I know for so many of the girls I work with, that's a massive part of healing is being able to move the stuff that comes, move the anxiety, move the whatever uncomfortable emotion is through the physical body. So can you talk about that connect? Absolutely. The first thing is the importance of a concept called titration and titration. Think of it like, um, uh, a, if there's a gallon of water, I'm using a dropper and taking a little bit at a time. Mm. And a lot in the self-help world, we see a lot of experiences of catharsis, which people think is cathartic experiences, which we 
a lot of people think is that's really helpful. Let out this big thing and I'm get releasing the, the experience. But oftentimes what's actually happening is a re-traumatization. Mm. So like, it's like, if you I just think of like inner child work, um, which is parts work is really helpful. But if you've ever been to like a retreat where someone's like, start journaling all about your childhood and you start like writing, you're like, Oh my God, I'm starting to feel dissociated. This is intense. And they're like, awesome. You're feeling <laughs> And what's really happening is you're like, holy shit, I'm reliving being seven. And this is the whole reason why I dissociated. And I'm, again, having the same experience where there isn't what's called a mutually empathic witness. Mm -hmm. The whole reason our trauma gets stuck is because there wasn't a person to be there with us that could hold a, a tether or a rope to regulation and attune with our experience. So number one, we have to start feeling into our experience in a titrated way. And that means mm. a little bit at a time. Yeah, it's good. What that, what that looks like is I'm not becoming engulfed. So think about it that way. Am I still like, I can feel this, but I'm still here for it. It doesn't feel good, but I'm not like lost the steering wheel. Yeah. So that's number one important. And then what's also really important to know is that this self-protective circuit, depending on which of our, we have three self-protective states, depending on which three state we're in, the way that we regulate is totally different. Mm. So important to know that. So starting with what's so called, good. what's called our dorsal vagal complex. Mm -hmm. This is that, think of it like hibernation. Um, a bear doesn't come out and we're just animals. I don't hu us humans like to think like we're so superior to everyone else. We're in it. We're mammals too. So bears come out of hibernation slow. They don't jet out of hibernation, right? So for us, when, and that's where this dorsal vagal complex, this is where apathy, hopelessness, I feel kind of shut down, fuzzy. I can't really think. It's hard to even speak. I, I feel so alone or separate from the world. Our vision will actually be fuzzy. Everything will look muted and gray. Hearing will be hard to hear. This is an, an dissociation. Um, that's all depression, of course, too. That's all our dorsal vagal complex. So how we come out of here is bringing in small amounts of mobilizing energy at a time. Mm. If we bring in too much energy, the experience is like going from outer space. I call this like, have you ever seen Stranger Things? Mm -hmm. the TV show? Mm -hmm. I call this the upside down world. It's just like that. Yeah. So, uh, Let's say, but for not everyone's watched that show, uh, outer space. If I bring in too much energy, it's like going from outer space to Times Square. Imagine that. That would be way too much, right? Like, ah, it's too much. It's too loud. It's too everything. And what would I want to do? My system would say, go back to outer space. Yeah. Way too much. So when we're here in dorsal, remember that's leaving our body. So our work is I need little bits of mobilizing energy and I need to bring myself back into my body. So when I'm here, I want folks to use every sense that you have access to. I keep essential oils on my desk. Um, I have, I'll have folks hold an ice cube. Can I feel that brings me back into my body? Can I smell something that's pungent or strong? Can I do some, uh, I do tapping. Tapping is a really supportive therapeutic tool that speaks to our autonomic nervous system uh, and tells our nervous system what in essence we're trying to do is say, Hey system, Hey system, we're safe. So tapping is a wonderful resource. Uh, making, this comes from Peter Levine's work, but the sound voo, V-O-O, in a low, I'll do it for you, a low <laughs> register, lower than our speaking voice. So when we're activated, our vagus nerve, 
tightens up. Vagus means wander, it's the biggest nerve in our body. And it's in our diaphragmatic region when we're in our dorsal system. So it's tight like this. 80% of information goes from our body to our brain. So if we can talk to this nerve, it talks to our brain. This is in essence what somatic work is all about. So this vibration of VU will help to begin releasing this nerve. And what's important when we make this sound is that it's not coming in here in our chest, it's a coming into our, our diaphragmatic region. Mm. So it sounds really weird. Most somatic work seems really weird because it's different than cognitive work. And I'll just do it once, but I, for folks listening, you do this two or three times, um, seeing if you can feel the vibration into your, your stomach and seeing if you can make the register as low as possible, something like this. So you make that sound a few times. And then the job after any regulating is rest and notice. Is anything different? Rest and notice. Am I a little more here? That's what we're looking for. Can I see a little bit more? Is my energy a little more full? Same with if we did some tapping. Um, being in nature. Touching a living thing like a tree. Connecting with an animal or a person. Um, can I go for a drive in the car? All of these things are bringing in small amounts of mobility, listening to music that attunes with my nervous system, that feeling. So that's our dorsal system. That's what we want to do when we're there. Now, if we're in our sympathetic nervous system, this is a, the opposite experience. We go, we go to dorsal when our system says, this is so dangerous and I can't get you away from it. So I have to have you leave your body. Often with complex trauma, we tend to resource that place. I did. I didn't know who I was in a mirror. That's a deep dissociated state. Mm -hmm. Then, by the way, just a side note, as we regulate our nervous systems, we go from that being where we hang out to sympathetic being where we hang out. That's the only way to get to regulation. So now I'm like, holy shit, this was outer space was pretty bad. Now I have to hang out in this place where I have all this energy in my body and it feels so <laughs> uncomfortable and I just hate this experience. Yes, progress, though. We're making our way to regulation. Mm. So sympathetic. This is where we go to when I'm hunting and gathering. I hear a sound. Oh, there's a lion. But you know what? The lion is an eighth of a mile away. We used to be animal trackers. We could probably hear it. My system says, I think we can do something. I think we can actually do something about this. So let's mobilize. Our system opens up something called our vagal break, which just means blood rushes to our heart. Have you ever heard the term a parent could lift a car off a child? Mm. Yeah. They actually could. We get superhuman strength when we're here because, as I mentioned, Caleb, every single thing that doesn't need energy, all the energy goes away from that. Yeah. We minimize everything so that all the energy can go to our arms and our legs. So when we're here, our system wants to move. Now, really important when regulating in this state, even within this state, not all regulation is the same. Because if a line was an eighth of a mile away and I said to you, Kara, let's sit down. And let's do this breathing exercise. Okay? <laughs> like, if it was an eighth of a mile, I'd be like, are you sure? And, okay, okay, let's just do it really quick. And I said it because we have to be able to focus on running. You'd say, okay, okay, let's do it. Now, if the lion was 40 feet away and I said, Kara, should, we should, let's meditate. Let's put on a, let's do a sound bath and let's meditate together. You'd be like, holy shit. Good luck to you being alive. I'm out of here. Yeah. Mm. So here's why I share that. Because if we're at, I, I number um, our, our dysregulation from like a one, least extreme, 10, most extreme in each of these states I'm explaining. If I'm at a one to a five, that's the lion an eighth of a mile away. If I'm at a five to a 10, that's the lion 50 feet, 40 feet, 30 feet away. 
So if, just thinking about that analogy, if I'm at a five to a 10, doing things like sitting still, gentle self-safe touch, self-touch, meditating, uh, trying to ground myself, that is not going to be helpful at all. Actually, in fact, it'll create more dysregulation because my system is saying, did you not get the memo? We need to move. So if I'm at a five to a 10, I want some folks to think about what will help my system to mobilize as much of this energy as possible. That might be shaking. That might be dancing. That can also be making sound. But again, we want the sound to be guttural like I made. That might be going for a brisk walk or a run or a drive in the car or lifting weights, lifting something heavy. My system needs to get more of that energy out. Now, if I'm at a one to a five, you know what? Maybe if I do some tapping or I do a little controlled breathing, or I do some swaying and some tapping on my on my sympathetic nervous system, which is, it lives here, um, that might be helpful. So this is just a really important thing to understand because I hear a lot of, I'm so glad that this topic has become popular, but there's a lot of people who just think like, just use any kind of way to regulate. It's all the same, but it's yeah. really not. And then one last self-protective state that folks experience a lot is called freeze. And that is equal parts. We have half special ops team sympathetic, half special ops team dorsal. Sympathetic says, I must do something now. Dorsal says, I can't do mm. anything. There are two equal and opposite forces. And they come together. And like if I pushed my hands together, this takes a lot of energy to be stuck like this. It's not nothing. It's the opposite of nothing. But we can have a lot of shame around this deer in headlights experience. Mm. The only way out of this freeze place, so we experience this when we're like, there's so much to do, but I can't do it. There's too much. There's too much, but I have to do it. I have to get all this done. Holy shit, I can't get it done. I'm never going to get it done. It's too much to do. I don't know. How do you even start? I don't know, but, but I have to get it done. So we can't really relax, but we're also not actually doing it. That's freeze. Yeah. And the way out of this state is by first, we have to remove what I call the cloak of dorsal. Mm. That's the shutdown part. If I try to bring in more energy, Guess what's going to happen? Mm. Dorsal is going to come on even stronger. Mm -hmm. So my freeze becomes bigger. So instead, I want folks to address that the same way I mentioned dorsal. Small amounts of mobilization when we're experiencing that freezy place. It's so incredible. Um, did, can I say something? Yeah, please. Oh. Did you mention, did you say that we go from dorsal to sympathetic? Yes, we do. So help me understand because I feel like when I look at the natural progression of me going from calm to out of control. <laughs> um, so like let's let's say um, from my own personal life of trying to figure out purpose, trying to figure out my life, what's my thing, what's my lane, has caused so much frustration. Yeah. But when I look at it, okay, so I sit down and write. And I'm like, okay, like where's this going? And then I get anxious. And then yeah. I feel very heightened and then I get this incessant need to figure it out. And then I'm obsessed with figuring it out. So I'll read more books and I'll wake up earlier. Frantic. Frantic energy, right? That's yeah. sympathetic speaking. That is exactly right. All right. So then from sympathetic, I go from usually after that, the despair will hit where I yeah. feel like this is all hopeless, helpless. I'm, I must be so fucked up that I can't figure this out so on and so yeah. forth. And then I go into shutdown. Dorsal. Dorsal. Yes. Okay. So Please. keep going. I'm going to draw something. <laughs> draw us the ladder. But it, it's it, so 
cool is I'm seeing Kara shaking her head like, that. yes, I know your nervous system. It's <laughs> <laughs> on other people's nervous systems. We just don't know it. Yeah. We're not cognitively aware of it. And uh, part of our work is how can we begin seeing other people as nervous systems? Because then we stop taking it absolutely, mm-hmm. and absolutely. Then how do we also become an expert on our own, which is the idea yeah. of a mapping a nervous system. So, mm-hmm. um, Deb, one of my colleague and mentor, Deb Dana, and Stephen Porges, the the scientist behind polyvagal theory, came up with this concept of a ladder. And think of it like a ladder that I step on. A ladder, uh, I can't skip skip rungs on a ladder. I have to climb them to get to the top, and I climb them to get to the bottom. At the top here is regulation. We call this, this is called our ventral vagal complex. This is where we experience joy, connection. Uh, we feel present. We feel in flow. We feel safe. The majority of unhappiness in the world, of course, aside from poverty, racism, patriarchy, you know, all of those yeah. horrible things, uh, lacking of, of safety is because our system isn't spending enough time here. Mm. And, and, the work that I do to help people is how do we spend more time here? How do we live our life predominantly here? So the states have multiple experiences, like a 10 best experience ever. One, I had a cup of coffee. It was fine. It was nice. It wasn't like extraordinary, but like when you found out you were pregnant, probably 10. Uh, just to like, you know, breakfast was fine. But then we, so the, if our system perceives a threat, we have a threat detector. It's called neuroception. It's in our brainstem. Every millisecond of your entire life, it has been working for millisecond mm. too. It's working. This is wow. what it does. Every millisecond, safe, dangerous, life threatening. Safe, dangerous, life threatening. Is that safe, dangerous, life threatening? Mm. Every millisecond. How exhausting! And it looks like all of information. Safe, dangerous, safe, dangerous, safe, dangerous, life threatening. I can't even say all three. So if it sees things as safe, we stick out here. Mm. Now, if it sees it as dangerous, your system dips from ventral. Right? You're thinking about the book. The protective parts are saying, safe, you're not actually doing anything. Enjoy it. Think about it. It's going to be, this is going to be so great. You sit down to actually write or agent says, hey, how's it coming along? What happens all of a sudden? System says, ooh, dangerous. And I start at a little worried or a little frustrated. That would be a one. But if the threat doesn't go away or I don't tell my system that I'm safe, what's going to happen? I keep going further down this ladder. Now I'm feeling not just a little worried. I'm feeling a little like uh, anxious about it. And now I'm feeling like I have to do, there's a ticking time bomb when we're here. Yeah. I have to do something now. I have to figure it all out. I have to get it all right. If I don't get it all right, all right it's not going to be okay. And Carrie, you're like, we should go for a walk. And you're like, we, I can't go for a walk. I'll go for a walk later. I'm so sorry, but I can't do it now because I have to do all these things because the world is going to end if I don't do it right now because I'm in my sympathetic nervous system. And then a 10 is terror or rage. Then if our system says, I wasn't capable of doing the thing that I needed to do, which was evade the threat, it says, let's dip down here into dorsal. And now I started apathy, but we can go quickly, by the way. So we can go from like a one to a seven real quick. Mm. And now I'm feeling depressed, shut down, hopeless. It's never going to change. It's not going to happen for me. Who do I think I am doing this? Now, the only way, here's the predicament, back up here to the top is through the middle. So if we notice when we're shut down, that a bit, little bit later we feel, because this is just really mobilization, we're like, I just feel, I don't know, like I just need to do something to move. I just mm. feel kind of fidgety or, you know, just like uncomfortable. And now I'm coming back up my ladder, up through sympathetic, and then the next day I'm like, I feel good today. Mm. I made it to ventral. So this is the process that we do. And for a lot of us, we're just like up and down and yeah. up and mm-hmm. down and all around and 
And the goal is I'm in the driver's seat. I know what brings me down the ladder. I know how to get myself back up the ladder. And when I know something that brings me down the ladder, I have this whole toolbox of, of tools that I can use to do things like ventrally bookending, which means I've got to regulate before I do that hard thing because I know the protective parts are going to bring me down here. So how can I prepare myself when I know there's going to be something that's dysregulating for me and bring myself more towards regulation before I take, and this is so important, what what I call a tolerable step. Most of us are taking steps that aren't tolerable. Tolerable step means I can complete it. Yeah. If I can't complete it, it is not tolerable. It is too big. So they're usually a lot smaller than we cognitively think they should, they should be, you know? So we're like, oh, I should be able to do more than this. Um, well, your nervous system has protected you so much that it's because it's had to, that it needs a lot of evidence. So I invite when I'm working with people, when I say tolerable step, I let them know that means it's not going to feel good because the protective parts are coming online a little bit. We take the mm-hmm. step forward and we're like, wait, are you sure? Are you sure? I don't know. Are you sure? Mm-hmm. And we experience that as like, I feel kind of anxious about this, but I'm not losing the steering wheel. I can still complete it. I complete it. And I'm like, I feel like I ran a marathon today. I need to take a nap. That was hard. Mm-hmm. Great. You completed it. And guess what happens? That step now gets stored in this receptacle of information. Now our system sees, hey, excellent, excellent. I was safe to be vulnerable. I was safe to be seen. Known With the goal of eventually I wake up and one day I say, yeah, I just did the thing. Yeah, mm-hmm. come on. It's so good. I think about how many years of my life I spent on the bottom two rungs of the ladder. Like, yeah, well, that's oh, just surviving, nonstop yeah, surviving. Nonstop. And I, so I, I'm trying to draw the correlations between really when I say I look back, I would say for the last decade, I've been on a spiritual journey of discovering who the hell Caleb is. And it's interesting as I look at it, though, and I'm going to fumble through my words here. Um, it's like on the tip of my tongue. So I apologize in advance if you're listening to this, but, um, okay. So I've gone from sympathetic, figuring it out crazy to, okay, shut down. But here's the thing it's in shutdown. And I do, and I notice, like after I shut down for a while, you know, maybe it's two days or three days, depending on how severely I just detach and dissociate. So I might go not anymore, but back in the day I'd go on a bender and I would be just, just destroying myself. And then maybe a week down the road, I'd feel the, the inklings of desire percolate again. And that would start moving me back up to um, the, the sympathetic in, into safety where I'm like, oh, I feel good again. This is great. Had a great day. But through all of that, what I've realized is I have obviously learned how to more efficiently move myself through the ladder in an intentional way by learning how to regulate when I am so dysregulated. And what that has done for me as I've gone on this journey is I've realized that at the dorsal, at that bottom of letting go has been the work of surrendering and letting go of the expectations of where I think I should be, letting go of the expectations of where I think my life should be, what I think I should be doing. And so it's, it's been mm-hmm. this beautiful moment of me recognizing that when I'm so detached and I'm at the bottom and maybe I'm wrong at this or I'm not, the way I'm seeing this is not correct and I would love your thoughts. It's like in that dorsal, in that free spot, I have done the work of surrendering. 
But then that the surrendering took me to a new place of freedom where I could start moving back up the ladder, right? And so I, I, it just makes sense to me that this, the spiritual journey of being present, because I, I have finally gotten to this point of I had this moment a couple months ago where I was in the front yard and I was like, holy shit, Sarah, this is serious. I was like, the ground I've been running for this entire time, I've been standing on this entire time. Like the thing I've been looking for has been with me this entire, what the fuck? <laughs> and I just like start weeping because I'm like, I had this moment of awareness where mm-hmm. I saw it and I connected to the present. And then from this place, I've experienced this ultimate freedom of being more present in my life and not trying to figuring it out, but participating in what already is. And it's revolutionized my life. And so I guess I'm saying this um, because that whole journey of regulation, regulating my nervous system is what landed me here. Am I correct to say that? And so we, we talk about like the, the importance of letting go and radical acceptance and, you know, living in the moment. That's all good and great. And it's important, but we do it by regulating our nervous systems. And so it's like this beautiful Ram Dass meets Tony Robbins, or Ram Dass meets Sarah Baldwin. <laughs> you know, it's like this interaction between spirituality work and actual nervous system work. Yeah, I mean, it's so wonderful to hear that you experienced all of mm. that, and, and everything that you're saying is is exactly right. And and you know, I think of what you shared, Kara, about spending so much of your life in dorsal. I did too, and if someone. You know, it really makes me so fucking angry when I hear a lot of messaging out there like, just um, say this mantra. Nothing wrong with mantras. If I'm regulated, they're really great. Mm. But if I'm dysregulated and I'm supposed to look in a mirror and say, I love you or like life is going to be okay or, you know, everything's going to work out or whatever it is or experience self-love. What is that? Self-compassion. What is that? What is it to be here now? Mm. Huh? And, and it, it, I get really passionate about that because it's something I experienced for so long. Like, and then I internalize that as well. I guess I'm just so, so fucked up that it's not possible yeah. for actually experience, I guess what everyone else is, mm. even though no matter how hard I try to tell myself this thing. Um, and, and what has to happen is we have to show our systems in essence that we're here and that what the past is actually over. The more I do trauma work, the more it's so clear to me. Time is not linear. Yes. We are traveling time all the time. Every time that we're activated or dysregulated and it doesn't match what's actually happening in the present, that means we've traveled time. And it also means that maybe a young part of us is here. And our job is to show our system, hey, we're here now. We're not in the past anymore. And, And when that happens, our system says, oh, we're here now. Here's a pretty good place to be. Here's a safe place to be. And life opens up for us when that happens. Just too. It's so beautiful that like we travel time. Like that's incredible to think of it like that. And it's just, it's so, when you hear this, like what I want people to take away from, because what I'm taking away from, and I can vouch for it too, because as I look back on my life, it makes sense. I think this is the way that it works, that in the pursuit of your goals, of mm. whatever it might be, trying to get that job promotion, trying to reach that new level of success or whatever it is, sure, you put in that work. You do the overtime. You do whatever is being asked of you and required of you. But the, the, the real moments of growth that's going to catapult you or position you is when you feel activated. Mm. 
learning how to move up and down that ladder in a more intentional and deliberate way and regulating, self-regulating is the inner work that actually positions you for the success. Absolutely. I think of, of anyone who's experienced trauma and has a dysregulated nervous system is, you know, they have a, a PhD in resiliency and survival. Yeah. Mm-hmm. As I, I remember I spent so many decades stuck and I would say, I feel so behind in life. Yeah. Say that. yeah. And had so much shame around that. And what I know now, which I knew then, but I want everyone to know is that if you're stuck, if you've been stuck for a long time, your system's not confused. It is working exactly as it should to what it doesn't know is over. Mm-hmm. And if your system can so intricately do that, it can absolutely come into regulation. And so good. that's the alchemization mm-hmm. of the things that happen to us mm-hmm. into something extraordinary, beautiful. And, you know, I say that there's no words for trauma because there's really no words mm-hmm. for horrific things that happen. There's no words that could describe how awful it is. And when we come home to ourselves mm-hmm. and into regulation, there are no words for what it's like to experience yeah. an ordinary moment on an ordinary day yeah. when come the on. ground is solid below us. Come on. And that's the gift that healing brings to us. That is absolutely beautiful. <laughs> that was a mic drop. Uh, I want to end it there, but I have another question. I have it. another question too. <laughs> <laughs> are you good on time, Sarah? <laughs> okay. It's really regulating me. Wonderfully regulating for mine. It's so beautiful. And it, it it's making me think about just the work that we do and how we think, I thought, I'll use me as an example, I thought my work was to go, to create, to do, to to get these things done. I'm a Capricorn. I'm a very, I'm very much a doer. I'm like, I, I just got to get stuff done. And I feel like what you just broke down is that really our work, our entire work is to get ourselves to this top rung of the ladder because that is where flow state happens. That is where we are present and where we actually have ability to create and to do from a connected, tethered place. And I think about all the times where I tried, I willed so hard to create in these bottom two rungs of the ladder and the the anxiety and uh, stress that compounded by yeah. doing that. So is it um, is it an actual thing that in in ventral vagal that's where our actual ability to create comes from? Because again, I think about what you talked about earlier, Caleb. This idea of survival energy and creation yeah. energy. I feel like survival energy is on the bottom two rungs of the ladder, and then creation energy is on that on that top rung. Is that would that be accurate? That is absolutely accurate. And when we're in ventral, what happens, our systems are so smart. They say, oh, coast is clear. Great. Then we can turn back on the parts of our brain we had to turn off for energy consumption. We can turn everything back on in our body. Regulating our nervous system, by the way, for anyone with chronic illness, is the best medicine for your system. Mm. because It brings everything into homeostasis. And from this place, from this place of ventral, I I am. I am me, I am everything, I am connected, I am home, I am channeling, I am in flow. And from this place is where uh, the most extraordinary creation comes from. And what the radical concept for most of us is that it comes with ease. For many of us who've had to be in survival, we learned, I certainly did, we learned you mobilize through your sympathetic nervous system. Yeah. That's how you get shit done. Yeah. 
have to be in this place of looking out for how things might go wrong and get it done and and, and do, 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 and make sure you watch out for all the things where it could go wrong. And like, that's how you succeed in the world. Mm. That's how you, our whole culture is built on that. And the paradigm shift is no, actually, when we're in this state of regulation, we get so much more done in a short period of time mm. because we're in complete flow and it's happening. This is when we're hearing you say something. Like, I don't even remember what I said to you a minute ago where you said, my job. I don't know what I said. <laughs> and where does it even come from? This cool mystery that is life. I don't know. It's me. It's not me. <laughs> we're in flow. And that can only happen in ventral. And that can only happen if we're safe. And so on in the equal side um, or on the other side of the coin, burnout happens yep. when we spin on those two bottom parts of the ladder. When we do something called overriding our nervous systems, which mm. all of us do, and our culture is built around overriding our nervous systems. One of my mentors, I mentioned to her, her name, Deb Dana, and years ago she said to me and a bunch of clinicians, she said, okay, how much does in, input for, for both of you or anyone listening – um, how many clients does everyone in the room see a, a day? And most people were saying like eight clients, nine clients, seven clients. And then she went around and said, all right, check in with your nervous system. How many clients does your nervous system want to see a day? Mm. And, and it was radical. People said two, three, two, a so nap good. and two. And, and if we think about that for ourselves, what, how am I overriding my nervous system every day? Yeah. What does my nervous system actually need? And what am I doing instead? Mm -hmm. And here's the thing to, for everybody to remember. Who's going to win? Nervous system, always. Yeah. <laughs> evolution behind it. So if I override my nervous system, what's going to happen is I go further down my ladder. Yeah. There's no other if ands, or buts about it. So if I'm like, my nervous system right now really needs to walk and not go for a walk and not do this thing on the computer. I'd invite you to listen. It's intelligent. It yeah. knows. And when you come back to the computer, you're going to be more successful in a short amount of time of outputting the thing that you want to be doing because you're regulating. That's beautiful. So and it's, good. it's just even like when you think about it in that moment, every like all the belief systems that are probably rooted in some sort of trauma, obviously, are are surfacing in that time. I don't have time to take a walk. Mm. Somebody's going to get this before I do this. They're going to get the pay raise that I want. So you have all of these like belief systems and how you see the world suddenly surface. And you're like, it's a chance for you to look mm. at the real, the real drivers of your life. Yeah. And then to see just how maybe I don't want to use the word toxic, but how unsupportive they are. <laughs> yes. If you have just a couple more minutes, this is such an Oh, I have another question, so please go. <laughs> incredibly, incredibly important concept that that our autonomic state creates our story. Mm. It's so important to understand. So an analogy I use is lawyers. And I want you to think about this. When I'm in Dorset, think about it like if I'm in a courtroom. This is the dorsal courtroom when I'm here. And who am I? I'm a jury member. <laughs> just a jury member. And guess who's present? There's a dorsal lawyer. This dorsal lawyer is Oxford trained, been in practice for 50 years. They could convince me a unicorn is real. They're, what is their job? To keep me in dorsal. Why? Because mm -hmm. my system thinks there's a life threat. They're not doing that because they're shitty. 
or because they want to harm us, they're saying they're part of the special ops team. And they come in and they're like, I'll convince Sarah to stay indoors. So I'm going to, I've got a whole repertoire of reasons why we should stay indoors. So if I try to do cognitive behavioral therapy when I am dysregulated or mindset work, think about that. If I'm, a, I'm just a jury member, like I have a trauma work and, and then a lawyer from Oxford or Harvard is like, I'm a jury member and I'm like, well, I don't think they murdered them. This is why. And they, they would bulldoze me. Mm. They, I would never be able to, as a jury member, argue with a lawyer. What we try to do when the lawyer endorses, here's the things the lawyer endorses will say. They talk slow, but they're powerful. They say things like, it's too late. It's too late for you. And you can't change it now. You know, someone who's been married 30 years, mm. picked the wrong person. Yeah. Never going to happen. Ooh, what a dorsal thought. Um, or um, nobody really wants to be connected with you. You don't belong anywhere. Who do you think you are? Or whatever else. Those are all dorsal thoughts. And they're powerful. And their job is to increase the activation. Now, sympathetic, different lawyer. I'm in that courtroom. It looks really different. It's kind of fiery red. This lawyer comes in, and they talk a lot faster. Just as good, Harvard educated, 40 years, maybe, maybe whatever. Yeah. And they wear like a red leather power suit or something. (laughs) And this lawyer is like, so there's, there's she or he or they can, can flip flop between aggression or panic. Right. Mm -hmm. So let's say it's aggression. And they're like, you know what? They've done this a million times. And and you've asked, how many times have you asked them to do it differently and they don't listen to you or, um, or how the world is against you. And you better, you better figure out how they might leave or this, this wrong thing could happen. Cause if you don't prepare against the wrong thing, you're going to be really fucked. So you better prepare against it. You better have control over everything. And, and, and yes, look through their phone. You should look through their phone. <laughs> what if they're doing something yeah. that's not okay? So you need to look through their phone and we're the jury. And we're like, okay, I'll go look through the phone. Or we try to say something like, no, be here now. And they're like, <laughs> right? Like, so like, true. Now. I don't hear you. Blah, so blah, blah, true. Blah, blah. I'm in their courtroom. Now, there's one other courtroom we go to. It's called Freeze. This one is kind of, kind of, feels kind of crazy because guess who shows up? Dorsal and sympathetic at the same time. And they're both yelling at you. One oh. is saying, you can't do it. It's never going to happen. And it's too much. And the other is saying, you have to do it now. No, you can't do it, but you have to do it, but you can't do it, but you have to do it. It's too late for you. No, you have to, or you're going to die. And you're like, ah, I don't know what to do. There's too much happening here. We can't battle with any of those lawyers. And here, so here's what we have to do. We have to leave those courtrooms and we have to get ourselves to the ventral courtroom. And the first simple thing that I invite everybody listening to do is get a visual on what each of these lawyers looks like. You probably already do as I'm describing them to you. What do they look like physically? Why do I want you to do that? Because this process of called differentiating is really important. I am not them. They are not me. This simple process of me having a visual on like, oh, there they are again, Mm. helps to lessen the activation they provide. So I want you to think about what do they look like? And then when you're in those, those states, check in with yourself and say, what the hell has that lawyer been saying to me? Because they're creating more activation. And then a simple, simple prompt is see the lawyer and then say to yourself, I'm noticing the thought that mm. it's too late for me. Mm. Or I'm noticing the dorsal lawyer is saying it's too late for me. And, and Let's do something really quick. I want each of you to think about a dysregulating thought that one of your lawyers says. Mm. Just think of one. Can okay. you get one? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. 
So I want you to say it to yourself. You can do it out loud or to yourself. Say it three times like you normally do. Believing it is what you do when you say it. Just notice what happens in your body as you do that. The the bad thought or the... Yep. Say oh. the bad thought like a statement like you normally do. Mm. You just lose. That's what you're normally doing. Can you notice the activation? Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh-huh. Okay, now I want you to see the lawyer. What does that lawyer look like? Who are they? What are they? It could be a gremlin. It could be a parrot. Could be a ghost. It could be um, a different, a parent, a different version of you. Who is that? And one more thing: see them small. Yeah. Uh, when cool. we see something as smaller than us, uh-huh. gives us a little more power. Now, what I want you to say is either out loud or to yourself. See them saying it. Like, see if you can visualize them saying that to you. Mm. And then I want you to say either out loud or to yourself. I'm noticing the thought that, whatever it is, say that three times. Mm. Now, did it feel any less activating than when you said it as a statement? Yeah. Yeah. The goal is... The goal is that, like, if I said, I'm not enough, I'm not enough. Ooh, I can feel that. I'm mm-hmm. not enough. That's pretty dorsal for me. Now, and if I keep saying that, I'll never be enough. Like, ooh, I keep dipping into dorsal. But if I see this dorsal lawyer, I notice the lawyer, and I say, I'm noticing the thought that I'm not enough. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Noticing the dorsal lawyer saying, I'm not enough. There it is. I'm noticing the dorsal lawyer saying I'm not enough. Mm-hmm. All of a sudden, it decreases the activation that the, that thought is causing. So good. And then my job is, I want you to think of like the elf on the shelf. We don't want to argue with the, I can't argue with the lawyer. Yeah. But what I can do is put them on a shelf. I see you, lawyer. I just called you out so that you didn't create more activation. I see you. Now my job is to get the hell out of this courtroom. So I need to turn towards regulation right now, not rationalizing myself with a lawyer, you know, mindset work, mindset work doesn't work. And and there's research now around neuroscience, why it doesn't Mm. because our state creates the story, not the other way around. Mm -hmm. And then when I come into ventral, guess what? Everything changes. Everything shifts. Um, I also invite folks to, or each of you think about this too. When I'm in dorsal, what's true about me, what's true about the world, and what's true about my partner? Mm. In sympathetic, what's true about me, what's true about the world, my partner? And then in ventral. I'm going to give you an example from a client I asked um, to give that, uh, get their permission about this. This is a person that was married to, um, to someone for 30 years and still married. And here's what the story was. The Just listen to this. The different stories of the lawyer in each of these states. So mm. dorsal. I married the wrong person. Mm. Regret. Too late. Because dorsals, I can't do anything about this. I've been married for 40 years. Too late. So that would be a dorsal experience. Now, this is a person who, I swear all the time, nothing wrong with swearing, but this is a person who doesn't swear. So look at this. Look what what sympathetic says. Fuck Fred. (laughs) (laughs) And she was like, I can't believe it's what I've been listening to. As I'm walking around the house doing the laundry, he's like, fuck Fred, and I've been doing this laundry for how many fucking years? And this fucking yes. guy, and she's like, wow, that's what that's what that lawyer had been saying to me? And then guess what in Ventral, her lawyer said, Ventral lawyer says, I'm so glad to be doing life with Fred. Mm. 
Now, here's the thing. Most humans are taking action in our lives from down yeah, here, yeah. which we're making choices that might not actually be the choice that we want. Now, in ventral, her, her, her ventral lawyer might have said, it's time to end this type of connection with yeah. Fred, mm. and, but, but from ventral. And our ventral lawyer, by the way, I didn't mention this. They're like, they're also from Harvard, but they just graduated. So they're like, you know, eager. They're like, ah, hey, they like have a crisp suit. And they're like, I'm really ready to go here. But they don't have a lot of like, they don't have a lot of neural pathways. They don't have a lot of evidence yet. So they're like, we get to ventral and we're like, what's true? And we're like, I'm safe. So they're like, you're safe. Mm. (laughs) (laughs) Like we're trying to, they're new. So our job is that we build neural pathways or, mm. or build the capacity of this ventral lawyer. So something I have folks do is when you regulate it, just ask yourself, what's true? Ask the lawyer, what's true? So what's good, true Sarah. About, about the world. So that's just a, a super duper important component that I so like good. to. And just brilliant. to recap what you said here, because I'm, I'm so glad you brought it up because as I have shifted into more or as I'm shifting into more corporate work, mm-hmm. um, a lot of the work that I see from other people's mindset work, mm. right? And so you have people who mm-hmm. probably argue, I would argue 99% of the people in corporate are operating from that sympathetic nervous system to do more, be more, achieve more, hustle more, strive more. Right. Yeah, Got to get this done. You can't mindset your work out of that. You can't mindset, no. change your mindset out of that. Yeah. So that's Good. what you're saying, right? It's not impossible. It, it is a uh, neuroscience that there's, there's evidence, scientific evidence shows it's not possible to do that. Yeah. Now, if I'm at a one, like yeah. just a one sympathetic. So that means like I've got a foot into the courtroom of sympathetic, but I'm not like totally in the courtroom. I'm like sitting behind the jury seat that if I'm at a one, I might be able to let myself know, Hey, you're safe. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I might be able to feel into that a little bit. Anything more than that? Absolutely not. But what yeah. part of our work when, when we've been, we've learned to succeed using our sympathetic nervous system yes. is we need to give our nervous systems evidence and data that in ourselves, evidence and data that I can be more effectful from ventral. So when I'm working with folks and by the way, working, when I worked with myself on this or with (laughs) other people is I keep an, I have folks keep an evidence journal and an evidence journal is writing down data information about how I was able to come into ventral, how I came out of regulation in a moment, how I was able to experience connection, all of these shifts that are happening in my experience and specifically with these these folks that you're talking about caleb is evidence of when i was in ventral what was my productivity like Mm. what was my creativity like so that they have they actually write it all down wow i was regulated i went for a run and i got this amazing idea and then i sat down so i took time to go for a run when really i normally would be working and i got this amazing idea and I, and I sat down and wrote about it and then I brought it to my team and it became this new product we decided to yeah. launch. Cool. Evidence. That's evidence that when I'm in regulation, there's more productivity, yeah. but their systems need that in order to buy into you because their system is saying, wait, you want me to sit on a beach and eat coconuts? Totally. Like, how am I going to get anything mm-hmm. done? Totally. Um, I've been creating conditions in a, in a corporate environment with, it is totally dysregulating fluorescent lights offices that are not at all conducive to regulating our systems wow. not having breaks throughout the day like mm-hmm. what can i bring in music 
if I'm going to do something that I know is going to be scary for my protective parts, I will always either lift weights, go for a run before. Then I'll stand in the grass in my yard. Then I'll play with my dogs and I'll put some music on. I do all of those things because I know they're, they're strong ventral anchors for me. And then I sit down to do the thing that I need to do. Mm. So good. This is so, amazing. So, um, I, I want to honor your time, but can I ask you one more question? Yeah. Uh, thank you. Um, it, this is incredible. It, it, yeah, it's just like you cannot not listen to this and be like, oh, my life makes so much mm-hmm. more sense now. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it's beautiful. But I think that where I'm sitting in life right now, um, it, it's a great place. But the, the, the challenge is, is when you are operating from, the, let's say, the sympathetic so much, which I would say so much of my time is spent there. I have been the, the, the three, the achiever, but doing it from a place of fear um, and so I've had this fear, this survival, which is a great fucking motivator, right? And there is this readjusting that's happening in my life of, oh, in ventral and safety, what actually motivates me? Mm. And so where the last decade of my life, the questions that I've been asking are like, how do I regulate noticing the thought patterns, coming back home, like doing all this work, what's what's most uncomfortable for me so I can lean into it because I know that's where growth is. That question doesn't register with me anymore. The questions that I'm asking is what brings me joy? What brings me, des- like, what are my desires saying? So I'm changing my questions, but I guess my question is, and I, I, I suppose that this is going to be a challenge even when I'm speaking with corporate or an executive, that our willpower and the, fear, the safety, unsafety, the perceived unsafety is an incredible motivator. Mm-hmm. It can get you to climb Mount Everest. The problem is, is as we know, that we're not going to experience the actual fulfillness and fulfillment, fullness and fulfillment in life that we long for, the connection that we long for. Right. How do we replace the new motor? Like, what is this journey of finding new driving forces or new motivators behind my life? Because for so many years in sympathetic, I need to tell my story. That's right. I need to do these mm-hmm. things. Mm-hmm. Now I'm sitting here and I had a moment where I was upstairs doing yoga when I first moved to Nashville. And it was such a sacred, beautiful moment for me because I was laying on my back. I had just gotten done breathing. And I was just like, for the first time in my life, I had this experience where I was like, holy shit. There is no other place in this world that I want to be than right here, right now. And I felt like Mother Earth was hugging me. And I just cried and it was just this beautiful moment for me. But now I'm having a hard time connecting with motivation mm-hmm. because I don't need to tell my story anymore. Mm-hmm. I don't have this incessant need to change the world anymore, to make a difference, to do something significant and meaningful and impactful. And so I guess my mm-hmm. question is, is what does that transition look like and how can I best anchor myself through this season? Hmm. So it's a, it's a really wonderful question and it's different for everyone because we're not, thankfully we're not all the same. Yeah. Person. Really we're all so different. Um, I'll give you a couple, a couple of things I want to say on that for, uh, for in my own experience, what um, that looks like and, and, ha- and looked like and has looked like for me <clears throat> in the transfer, because I was just like you in that way, Caleb, is what that evolved to is I, don't want a single person to have to go through life and not feel alive. And Mm. so I care so deeply about that. I want this in schools. I want kids to not have to experience what I did. And it comes from, that's not from a, I have to do this 
thing for me, it comes from, I know what's possible. Yeah. And I want the world to have that. And so that drives me to do all of the work. It's the only, it's the only reason I do any of the work that I do is because of that. And I'm writing a book too. Only reason I'm doing that is because I want, that's what I want so deeply. And so, you know, for each of us, that looks different. You know, for some folks listening, it's not, I don't, they might be saying it's not having my own business and writing a book. For some folks, it might be, what do I deeply desire? And after not having it and want now, oh, I deeply want community where it feels like, you know, my family of choice versus the family that I was born into. I deeply want that. And that's a desire of my heart or I love being. And for others, it might be, you know what? I love being in nature. I love it so much. That's what makes me feel most alive. And so I want to create my own farm or a wildflower business and, and, or what, you know, whatever it is. Um, But the way that we get there is by beginning when we're in ventral coming into contact with, what makes me feel, what makes my soul sing? What makes me feel so alive? Mm-hmm. And, and, the, and we can't cognitively make our way to that. We have to embody it. Yeah. So when I do this thing, does my soul sing? Which means I feel the most alive in this moment. You know, and there's different things that we can, we have met many things. There's not just one purpose, you know, I love being in nature. That's a purpose of mine. I consider that a purpose because it fills me deeply and I do it for the sake of doing it. Mm-hmm. So when That's we good. think about, and when I do my work, I do it for the sake of doing mm-hmm. it. Results are fine, but that's not why I do it. Mm-hmm. And that clues of, oh, that's the way I'm supposed to go. Yeah. Mm-hmm. More often than not, it has to do with our own healing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Some mm-hmm. component of it. You know, my hunch is for you, there's a component of knowing what it's like to not be able to have your own voice mm-hmm. and wanting people to be embodied in their own voice. I don't know what that looks like, yeah. but, but, but we have to start embodying those things and experiencing them. And, and that's how we make our way to the breadcrumbs that are already there. We're the light at the end of our tunnel. It's nobody else. It's nothing else. It's just us waiting. I will say that like, because I, I had explained it earlier and that helps a lot. Thank you for sharing this. Um, You know, to be somebody, the fear of being exposed, the fear of not being enough, the fear or, you know, the desire to, to live a significant life and to make a deep impact. While that was all good and great, like none of that, like I said, identifies with or it connects to me anymore. But the one thing that I really feel like that brings me the most joy in life, and it it, it really is the more simpler pleasures of life, like mm-hmm. honestly, sitting on a park bench when the weather is 70 degrees and I have a hoodie on and I can feel the breeze and I can hear the child laughter from across the park and being in that moment, like just lights my heart up it makes me feel so full which is beautiful because I have access to that at all times um but I would say like what really lights me up and brings so much joy to my life is self-expression the moments where I feel like I have fully expressed myself to the in the way that I best know how in that moment when Mm. the words flow and I have that makes me feel so alive and subsequently though that's where my 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 
that's what activates me the most <laughs> right yeah. now in this yeah. season. You were the universe, like mentioned. It's yes. <laughs> and so I guess it's just because um, I'm, I'm my natural the way that I would view this is like I got to run into this. I've got to sympathetic my way through this thing now. Like I, I don't know if that's the way you say it, but I have to like strive my way and figuring this thing out. But I guess my approach is just different, where mm-hmm. it's so much softer. It's much more gentle. I am aware of the the activation happening. I sit with it. I, I regulate in that moment. And then I just show back up and start trying to express myself again. Yeah, because, because from, from ventral is the only way that yeah. we can actually step into what it is that we're called to do. And, yeah. you know, we all get pulled down our ladder. When I... I was uh, approached by a, um, a publisher uh, and then things started to happen really fast. And I, part of my, I was, I wasn't in my, I had things happening in my company that I wasn't ready to do it. And what does our sympathetic system say? Uh Oh, if I don't do it now, I'm going to miss this opportunity. Yeah. Such a big opportunity. And mm-hmm. Oh my gosh. And or someone else is going to feel, you know, then the internet people take your words all the yeah. time. And I'm like, mm-hmm. of course it's taking my words and the title of my book and all of that. But you know, the more I can come back to ventral and say, no one can take away who I am. Yeah. No one can take away the wisdom inside of me from my healing because nobody's been in my own journey. Mm-hmm. Because of that, there's no one, even if they try to use the same words, that can be me, just as no one can be you and you and you and every other person. And so the more that I can embody that, knowing and, and everyone can embody that, my timing is right. From ventral, it's right. Yeah. And it's going to, it can't not come to fruition mm. from that place, our, our deepest desires. I don't think that the thing that created everything, whatever that mystery is, is cruel. Yeah. And all I have to do is look at nature to see that. You know, every, the flowers outside my window have a bee that comes to pollinate them and they have nutrients from their roots and they are provided for as are we. And it doesn't mean that things aren't hard and, you know, traumas happen, but I really don't believe that these deep desires that we have are meant to, that that we can't have them. Mm. You know, what a cruel thing that would be if I had these deep, not our trauma response desires. Those are different. Yeah. Yeah. Because my deepest desires actually serve the world more than they serve me. Everyone's deepest desires too. And when we can think about, and I, when I'm doing anything that taking the tolerable step, like in writing, I think about who's that, who's that one person? Who is that? They were, they're real. They exist right now. And they're waking up feeling alone or that they don't make sense Mm. or that it's never going to change. And, and what am I here to tell them? And how can I help them? You know how to do that already. Mm-hmm. So, so how can we how can we take a step from that place? And when that happens, we get out of our own way and we're coming to it from ventral and we're taking a tolerable step and it really begins to transform and we're nourishing ourselves along the way instead of starving ourselves metaphorically along the way where like it has to happen it has to happen no i need to be i need to be around people right now because that's what my system needs yeah and 
I'll come back to this when, yeah. when I feel a little what a, better. What a great way of saying, like, starving yourself, because that's yeah. what we're doing. Yeah. We're starving ourselves. And, yeah. I, and I, you know what you said, too, earlier on about how when you know you're going to be doing something, you have, like, a pre-ritual standing in the grass, playing with mm-hmm. your dogs, listening to music. I I just sit down and try to start writing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Where I feel like I, I, I'm already going in it losing. Yeah. <laughs> and so I do need to get this, um, just having the awareness of I'm doing this for the sake of doing this and there's no outcome attached to it and just being so much more intentional mm. on how to move into this, knowing that this is where I'm, the most activated in this season of life and just being aware of that is a massive yeah. leap. And a concept that I do a lot of parts work, but an analogy I, I use a lot with everyone I work with um, is if, you know, let's say there was, you each got a foster child dropped off on your doorstep, a sweet, like eight year old, little sweet boy and girl that you would both identify as she, her, he, them, right? He, they, mm-hmm. uh, he, he, them. Yeah. Uh, so, so they're, dropped off and you look at their case history and they've got the same history as you what would happen is like in in in, and i don't know carrie your history um but let's say let's say nobody helped you to do a project or to study and the expectation was better get a's but nobody helped you nobody processed anything with you so you have this foster child and you know they're going through something really hard at school that they're trying to figure out how to do like a project and everyone else is parents are helping them and you're like eager to help them. But when they come home, they're like, no, it's fine. And they go to their room, Mm -hmm. but they're overwhelmed and they don't know how to do it. And they're trying so hard, but they are so scared to ask for help because when they did ask for help, no one was there Yeah. or they, or they told them, you know, you don't need anyone to help you, et cetera. So when I hear you, Caleb say like, I just sit down to write, well, that's really telling about what it was like for you and your experience instead of like what you would do for your daughter is if you knew she's experiencing something hard, you'd both be like, hey, welcome home. We're going to go do something. So first, we're going to do a dance party in the house. And after we do this part of the project, you wouldn't say you're sitting down for three hours. You wouldn't know what a tolerable step for her was. And then you'd say, amazing. Now, what restaurant do you want to go to tonight? We're going to go to you get to pick and then we're going to have a game night at home. So you would be creating ventral bookends for her and you would be giving her a tolerable step to take. And so use that as if tool anytime. Mm -hmm. What I do this with my daughter, what I do this with a kid who had the same trauma history as me, Mm -hmm. what would I do instead? And how can I impart that on me a little bit? It's so beautiful. Uh, Damn. (laughs) It's so beautiful. (gasps) Uh, Sarah, thank you so, so much. Uh, Sincerely, thank you for you, uh, for showing up in this world, uh, for listening to your own voice and to say yes to your own story and for the work that you share. Mm-hmm. Uh, I and know. thank you for healing, Yeah, <laughs> doing your work to heal. Yeah. It's so empowering. It really is. Um, we'll have uh, the bio and then I'll, I'll connect your website. Is there anything, um, I think you have a toolkit that you, Oh yeah. Um, I have, I don't know when this will, any, do you have any idea when it will air? Probably in the next week. <laughs> I have, um, right now I have a course that's open for enrollment. Okay, so great. Awesome. Let me just, to, Please. It's, just called, it's called You Make Sense. Um, awesome. And so that's, they can sign up for that. Okay. If they're interested. And you can just send me the link and I'll have it linked to the description of this oh, podcast. Thanks for doing. Thank you for having me. This was so nice. It was I do a lot of podcasts. It's my most enjoyable podcast. Oh, oh thank good. you. Good. <laughs>
Thanks for having me. Really, it's so good to meet you, Kara. Oh, you're-